So what's your favorite thing about being a kid, right? What a question, right? I love their answers. I love some of them gave churchy answers like we would if we were asked that question. You know, somebody put us in a chair at church and put a camera in front of us and said, what do you like best about being a kid? We're going to try to think up a churchy answer, right, and tell the pastor that. But I love the honesty. Some of you already know, and I'd just like to clarify for those that might be visiting with us or watching online for the first time, I get, a, I get the opportunity here at Connections Church to serve the kids mostly, and I love it. I love being involved with them. I've said this a hundred times, but I love it that they're a sponge and that they absorb everything that we get to tell them. And I want you to know this. This is a a statement I've made before also, but it's a commitment from Connections Church, from myself, and from the leadership that serves the children at this church. We want them to know who Jesus is. That's the most important thing that we could possibly do is make sure that the children know who Jesus is every time we get a chance. So welcome to Family Day. I just want to add my welcome there. Welcome to the church that kids go to and bring their parents. That's that's going to be our tagline moving forward. You can decide if you want to be here or not. But welcome to the church that kids go to and bring their parents. If you feel optional parents on that, you are. They're they're coming. Whether you, I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to make sure they're, they're going to be here. But welcome to Connections Church. I'm so glad that you chose to come and be a part of Family Day. And a lot of times people say, well, what in the world is Family Day? And why do we do that? And why is it always on the fifth Sunday when there's a fifth Sunday in the month? Well, my volunteers need a break. Amen? They, we got a lot of people that serve in children's ministry. And sometimes it's just nice to let them go to church and not have to deal with teaching your kids. Amen? So there you go. That's what Family Day is all about. But it's also about just coming together. There's something about children and families worshiping together. I don't know about you, but while those little fellows were up here reading those scripture verses and those young ladies were standing down here worshiping, I just about lost it. I I just, there's something about seeing that young innocence worship God in everything that they have, like Pastor Robert said, just pour it all out. I just about lost my composure. I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go up there. We'll just have to see how it goes. But here we are. The pages of Scripture, have you got your Bibles, by the way? Anybody in the house got a Bible with them? Amen. The pages of Scripture, the, the books and the chapters in this book that we call the Bible, tell us how God feels and Jesus feels about children. And since we're in this study about the family and it's family day, and today we happen to land on the truth about children, we want to dig into that. We want to get to the bottom in the next few minutes of the truth about children. Now, if I came to your house and they weren't present, and I said, well, why don't you just tell me the truth about your children? That would probably not be the sermon. That would probably not be what we'd want to discuss on Sunday morning. But we would get to the point where you would, you would tell me the things about your children that just excite you and energize you inside. There's something about the little ones. Something about that, that fresh little baby face. Amen? That you just can't get past the chubby cheeks. you got to pinch them and squeeze them. Us that are grandparents are just all about getting in there and getting some squeezing. Look at those little legs. 
Amen. Look at, look at those little, little arms. We just got to squeeze those little cheeks and we want to, I like to get in the nap of their neck right in there. Well, God feels a certain way about children too and he didn't mind telling us in scripture how that is. I, I just quickly go back to the, to the Old Testament as he was laying down the laws for the children of Israel as they were leaving and being uh, released from uh, Egypt and, and going into the promised land, he made sure to tell everybody to remind their families and their children of who he was. He said, before they go to sleep at night, remind them of who I am. When they get up in the morning, remind them of who I am and what I've done. So he had children on his mind. And then we get over to the New Testament and we realize that in the pages of the New Testament that children are important to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you remember this, but around Matthew chapter 19, it says that there were families bringing their children to Jesus at the temple. Now that gave me a moment of pause this week when I thought about that because I, I thought about you. I thought about us as parents and grandparents and future parents that are in the room and folks who are looking to, to adopt that will be future adopted parents. We voluntarily... Get up on Sunday morning, you guys, to the early service, God bless you, and round up the kids, and we bring them to church. We intentionally bring them out so that they can hear who Jesus is. And so that's what these families in Matthew chapter 19 were doing. You don't have to go there. We won't stay there long. Just listen. It says they were bringing their families to Jesus specifically so he could lay hands on them and pray for them. That's what they had on their mind when they brought them. They said, ooh, let's get the kids. Let's take them over to see Jesus. Hopefully, when we get there, we'll be able to fight our way in through the crowd, and he's going to lay their hands on them and pray for them. Why would they want that? What were they thinking? What, what was going on in their mind? What kind of intentionality would a parent have to have to get their kids up, Fight them to get some clothes on. Can I hear an amen from some parents? Find that second shoe that's always eluding you somewhere in the house. Put them in the car. Strap them in the car seat. Drag them into church. I've seen the heel marks in the parking lot. I, I know you're dragging them in here sometimes. Why would they do that? Because they were hopeful. They were intentional. And they were saying... Jesus, if he could just lay their hands on them and pray for them, wouldn't that be great? And so the families are bringing their children to Jesus to lay hands on them and pray for them. That intentionality struck me this week as something that we need to think about. It's moms and dads bringing their children in in an intentional effort to, to, to the presence of Jesus himself to say, hey, will you pray for my kid? Will you touch my child? Do you know what I think they were thinking? I think they knew down deep inside them that if Jesus could touch their child, if Jesus would pray for their child, there would be a change. And that they would always find favor with God. 
So in that story, in Matthew chapter 19, just briefly, as these people, these families are bringing their children in to see Jesus, the disciples, it says, rebuked the people. The disciples are standing at the door going, hey, 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 get out of here. We, he doesn't have time for that. It's Jesus after all. This is, this is Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says this, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What a statement to make. What a, what a declaration that Jesus makes at that moment. As he sees his own disciples, the people he's been trying to reach. He's been trying to explain the kingdom of heaven and what he's going to bring to pass to these men, these grown-ups. And they're telling these families, don't come in. He doesn't have time for that. And Jesus goes, wait a minute. Don't hinder the children from coming to me. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Do you know that that probably caused some disciples to do a little head scratching? Why, over in Mark, when Mark tells the same account of this same thing happening, he actually says that Jesus was indignant with his disciples. What does that mean? It means he was mad. He was upset with them. He was angry at the unfair treatment that the children were receiving at that moment. Do you think Jesus cares about children? Absolutely. There was another time in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus was teaching and the disciples came and asked Jesus this question. They said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is just there. He's, he's been going through some teachings and going through some things, but the disciples, some of them, what they really had on their mind was, how do we gain stature in the kingdom? How do we make sure that when this kingdom comes to pass, you see, they were thinking very carnally. They were thinking very physically, very fleshly. They were thinking, if he's going to be the king, how do we get a seat at the table, right? And we might be caught up in, in that today, or we may have been caught up in that in, in, in the past, is, is when there's an administration coming into power, when there's someone rising to the top, we want to get close to them. We want to find out, well, how is it that we're going to be able to serve with you, sir, ma'am? We want to go too. How would we gain favor with you? How do we decide who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is going to be? They were jockeying for positions of authority. Wondering what they could do to have a, a higher rank, perhaps, than the other disciples. And here's what Jesus said. When this question was posed to him, when he's teaching and these, these disciples come at him, then he knew what they were thinking inside. He knew their hearts, just like he knows ours today. And they said, how do we gain favor... Who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here's how Jesus answered it. As a matter of fact, Griffin, can I borrow you for just a second? Will you come stand right here with me? You don't have to say anything this time. Jesus took a child. He called a child, the Bible says. And he put that child, the Bible says he put that child, placed that child among them. Now, I believe that child in that particular case was a little smaller than Griffin is. I'm not going to attempt to pick Griffin up and place him anywhere. But that's what the Bible said Jesus did. He looks, he looks thick to me. He looked like he got some weight to him. I'm not even going to try it. But he said, look at this right here. He said, 
You want to know who's going to gain position and authority in the kingdom of heaven? And he placed a child among them. He, he put that child right in the middle of those who were bickering, those who were selfish, those who were power hungry. And this is what he said. Unless you change and become. Thank you, Griffin. I need you to underline that. I need you to remember that. Change and become. Like what? Like a child. I want us to get that message today that we are to become, and Jesus said you, you, you need to become like a child. So we put this emphasis in our society on knowledge. We're always seeking understanding. In the Christian world, we put an emphasis on theology and doctrine. That's what we want to know. We want to dig in and find out all these nitty-gritty details about the Bible and who God is. But Jesus said you can forget all of that if you want first change and become like what? Like a child. Like little children is what he said. Now he could have stopped at change. He could have said, you better change. But he didn't. He said, you need to change and become. Everybody say, become. Because it's not just a decision in our minds that we're going to change. It's about becoming like a child. Why? Same thing he told us back in chapter 19 of Matthew. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact... Jesus was pretty stern when he said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it sounds to me like I could be the most learned, educated, theological man in the world. But if I don't change and become like a child, I will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Am I putting too much on that, or is that how you hear that too? That's what he said. To the people who were selfish and bickering and trying to get an edge up on everybody, he said, you better change and become like a child or you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. What is it about that child that Jesus plopped down in the middle of those disciples that is, that is so great that he's willing to look those men in the face, look them in the eye and say, you better change and become like a child? What was it about that child? or children in general, that Jesus would put that much emphasis on him. Let's put our thinking caps on on that for a minute. Can we do that? Here's how we do it in children's church. Hmm. This guy's got it right here. Yeah. Hmm. Sometimes you got to give it a little tap, too. Hmm. What is it about this child thing that we understand is that Jesus wasn't telling these men to become childish. He was telling them to become childlike. I'm going to let that sink in for just a moment. He was not telling his disciples and those that were listening to become childish. He was telling them to become childlike. See, the problem and we know that this exists in our world today, adults, is that there's too many childish Christians. There's too many selfish, 
self-motivated, self-centered, selfish, childish Christians. But Jesus said, don't be childish, be childlike. Let's be honest with ourselves today as we examine who we are in our walk with Christ and make a decision as to whether we're childlike or childish. What Jesus was warning the disciples and us to see in this account is that we should be childlike in our faith. That child that he plopped down in the middle of them when he said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to children like this. You have to become childlike. You have to change and become if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of the childlike faith of that child. They just believe. They can just grab it. When we're back there, while all of you are in here worshiping on Sunday and hearing a message from God's Word, and we're back there in rooms adjacent to this room telling these children about Jesus, and we say something simple like, Jesus knows you. They say, okay. If I say that in here to you, adults in the room, you say, I don't know. I don't know. He might know some of me, but there are some things he doesn't know, and I'm not super sure that he knows everything about me because there are some things and some people and some circumstances and some this and some that, and we start to analyze it. Children don't do that. They have a childlike faith. They just accept it. They have a childlike acceptance. They're very trusting by nature. Children are very trusting. That's why they can be taken advantage of so easily if we're not careful because they just trust that what they're being told is right. Why would mom and dad put me in the car, dress me up, and bring me to a place if the person telling me something's not telling me the truth? That's why there's such a weight and a heaviness on teaching and preaching, especially to the children. Because they're just accepting. They just say, okay, I'll take that. They're childlike in their beliefs. It's simple. There's a song that we've done here before called The Simple Gospel. And I love the fact that the gospel is simple. As a matter of fact, it says in Scripture that it's so simple that even children can understand it. But we as adults try to make it so hard. We try to put so many things with it to the point where we discourage ourselves that we can't even accomplish it, but we're the ones that tagged all that stuff on there. Jesus just simply says, I love you. Will you love me back? Can we have a relationship? And when you tell a child something like that, they just say, yeah, I want to have a relationship. I, I want that help. I want that love. I want that in my life. And so the child that Jesus put among them at that moment represented a person, a soul, that without hesitation, without the filter of life experiences, without the burden of worry, didn't care what someone else would say, didn't care what someone else thought, they just believed. And Jesus was telling his disciples and those that were listening, if you will change and become childlike and just 
believe, you can enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus said, if you don't change and become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to give a heavy warning in chapter 18 after those scriptures that you can look at this week about those who would lead children into sin and demean them or neglect them. So after he set that child up as an example to the disciples, then he said, let me give you a warning. Anybody who causes a child or leads a child down a path to sin, demeans them or neglects them, and he gives a heavy heavy warning to those people. I would submit to you that those verses of scriptures are the bedrock, the very fundamental of God's viewpoint on child abuse, misuse of children, and abortion. Jesus takes children extremely seriously. I saw something else in chapter 18 that Jesus says. I believe it's verse 10. It's the second part of verse 10. He says, for I tell you that there, speaking of children, angels in heaven always see the face of my Father. Have you ever seen that verse before? The children have angels attending them, and those angels always, everybody say always, That means how often? Always. They always see the face of his Father in heaven. I said, wait a second now. Do you mean to tell me that children mean so much to God, so much to Jesus, his Son, that he set and appointed a specific group of angels I'm going to call them uh, ninja angels. I'm going to call them special forces angels. He said, I'm going to appoint you and you and you, angel, 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 special forces. You guys are over children. I want you to watch them. I want you to help them. If they need something and someone is neglecting them, someone is abusing them, someone isn't taking care of them, I want you to help and do something about that. And those angels do that. 200, uh, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, they are always seeing the face of the Father. Do you know what that represents to me? Is that they have a special force of angels who are always seeing the Father. They're never outside of His presence. He's the ultimate power source. He has all the answers. He's omnipotent. He has everything that a child could ever need. And they're always there watching the children and looking at the Father and watching the children and looking at the Father. Angels. Special forces. You don't think God loves children, has a heart for children? You don't think Jesus had a heart for children? He most certainly did because he took some of his creation, angelic creation, and said, you, you watch those kids. You take care of those kids. You make sure those kids always are protected and served. And don't ever leave my presence because I want a report. Have you ever worked for one of those people? Micromanagers, I think they are. 
and they'll give you an assignment, and 10 minutes later, they'll call you and ask you for an update. Well, it was a three-day project. I don't have an update in 10 minutes. I'm working on it. That's the update. I think God is the ultimate micromanager, not in a negative way, but He cares so deeply for His creation, children, that He put the angels over them and He said, I want constant updates. Don't ever leave my presence. I want to know. If I ask you, I want to know exactly what's happening. Isn't that beautiful? That's how much He cares about children. And then I was reading over in Matthew 21 this week and I saw this. Listen carefully. Jesus rolls into town the week before He's crucified. It's Passion Week. And he tells his disciples, he says, you go into Jerusalem before I go and go in there and find me a a foal of a donkey. Go in there and find me a donkey. Tell the people the Lord needs it. They'll say, okay, take it. And they did. And the disciples bring the donkey back to Jesus. Jesus gets on the donkey. He rides into town. Do you remember this story? It's the week before He's crucified. It's Palm Sunday, if you will, if that helps you picture what's happening here. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and the first place that He goes is where? No one's read this. I know the children know. The first place He goes is to the temple. He goes to church. He rides into town on the back of that donkey, and the first place that he goes is church. He goes in, and guess what he finds? I think I preached this not too long ago. He finds that there are people in the church, in the temple, buying and selling. they got tables set up. They're exchanging money in the church. And what does Jesus do? He turns over the tables. This is the second time he's had to come into town and do this. He runs those goofballs right out of the church and says... This is not what my house is for. The church, the temple, is a house of prayer. And I want you to see what happens next. As soon as all of the trash is taken out, that's what I preached not too long ago. As soon as Jesus clears the temple of all of the stuff that's going on in there that shouldn't be going on in there, the Bible says the blind, verse 14, and the lame started showing up. Now that the garbage was out of the temple, the blind and the lame, who do they represent? People who need Jesus. Now that the stuff is out of the temple, the blind and the lame start showing up, and what does Jesus do? He heals them all. Every blasted one of them, He heals. He touches them. He prays over them. He heals them. And what happens? The chief priests... And the the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he was doing. I thought the phrasing in that scripture was interesting, that they actually called it wonderful. They said, hey, we see what you're doing. Now that you've driven out the money changers, the blind and the lame, those that desperately need a touch from you are showing up at the church, and you're healing them. You're doing all these wonderful things for them. But listen, they also say, and do you hear the children shouting. Why would the, why would the, the, the teachers of the law and, and the, the big wigs of the day who are now upset with Jesus because he's in there healing people who desperately needed to be healed, why would they even mention? Do you hear what the children are shouting? Don't you find that odd? 
That they would pick that specific detail, that they would come to Jesus angry about what he's doing and say, do you hear what the children are saying? By the way, do you know what the children were shouting? Hosanna to the son of David. Why were they shouting that? Because as he had ridden that donkey and marched through the streets of Jerusalem to the temple that day, the people had laid down their cloaks and were waving palm branches. And guess what they were saying? Hosanna to the son of David. And the children are repeating what they've heard. And they've believed just because of what they've seen their parents and their grandparents and the other adults in Jerusalem. Somebody's not hearing me today. They're repeating what they've heard. They've seen the adults worship Jesus. And now they're at the temple and they see him lay his hands on people who were blind from birth and couldn't see. And suddenly their eyes pop open and people who have never walked a day in their life and Jesus just touches them. And now they're dancing around and the children go, hey, Hosanna to the son of David. That's what we want. We want our children to see us express ourselves in worship and praise Him and, and worship Him in our homes and in our church. Why? So that our children will worship Him too. That's why they were so upset. That's why the teachers and the, the leaders were so upset because they're like, look what He's doing to the next generation. He's got them too. They said, Jesus, do you, do you hear what the children are saying? Listen to what Jesus says. This is beautiful. He says, uh, well, yeah. Haven't you read your Bible? <laughs> These people were students of the law. These people were standing on street corners, glorifying themselves, saying, we know what the Scripture says. So Jesus says, he sticks it right back to them, and he goes, haven't you read your Bible? Over in Psalm 8. A guy by the name of King David wrote these words. Check it out right here. David wrote, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. And then watch what it does. Silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Y'all ain't getting this this morning. Let's go back to the beginning of the service. There's children standing down here and they're worshiping God. They're singing out. Their hands are going up. There's children across the room and back in the rooms and they're worshiping God. The praises of God Himself and His strength and who He is God gives that to the children and the infants. And what happens? It shuts the enemy up. There's some strength and some power there. He's not playing around. He said, I'm looking for some souls. I'm looking for some beings on the planet that I can give my praise to, that I can give my glory to, the essence of who I am that will express themselves in such a way that my enemies and those who oppose them and me, God says, have to be quiet. That's how important children are. 
That's what God thinks about children. That's the blessing that He's put on children is so that when they open their mouths and say, Oh, I worship you today, God. They may not understand what's happening. They may not even understand what they're saying. But God says, yes. Now those who oppose me have to stand back and go, I guess I can't. There's not, it's not happening today. They can't advance. The darkness can't advance. Hallelujah. The, the devil can't move forward. Those who oppose God and the children can't move in. Why? Because there's praise. They're singing the praises of how strong He is. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. You know what else hit my mind this week? We adults know that stuff too. But sometimes we just lock it up and we don't tell anybody. The children express it, and the enemy is driven back, and strongholds are broken. Imagine how much power there would be if we adults opened our mouths and opened our hearts and worshipped Him the way a child would and does. Then what happens to the opposition? Then what happens to the darkness? It would have to flee. Jesus said, I thought y'all were teachers of the law and students of the Bible. You haven't read what David wrote back in Psalm 8, that children and infants sing the praises of the strength of the Lord, and when they do, their enemies and all who oppose them have to be quiet. Children and infants are so important to God that He teaches them to sing the praises of His strength. Do you notice who did the teaching there? He did. He taught them. He put the praises in their mouths. Here's what we're going to do. I had more, but I'm done. I want as many families with children that can get down here to grab them and get to the front of this church with them. Because what we're going to do is we're going to pray as families. If you need to go to the nursery or the toddler room and grab your kid, we'll wait on you. Go. If that's what you want to do. Children are so important to God. They mean so much to Him. He's already poured blessings down on them and us. But He wants to do more. So we're going to pray over our children today. We're going to try to align ourselves with who, what God thinks of our children. We love them most of the time. We want to align ourselves with how God feels about children. And maybe, maybe you don't have children today. But that's a heart's desire of yours. I want you to come too. Because God knows the desires of your heart. He put that desire there. We want to pray 
for your future children. Maybe your grandchildren are here today. Grab them, bring them down. Maybe it's the neighbor's kid. That's okay too. Maybe you're just here. You don't have any kids here. But you're part of this faith family. Come on. Because you're in this game too. Just like we said the other week when we dedicated children to the Lord. This is a, this is a church thing. This is a family of God thing. Children have a simple, unrestricted faith. They don't have trust issues. And some of us adults need to pray today that we'll get rid of our trust issues and be more childlike in the respect of our faith and our walk with God. Children, before they were even knitted together in their mother's womb, the Bible said, are fearfully and wonderfully made. They need to know that. They need to wake up every day and hear that. And I know I failed my kids, and maybe you say this morning, well, I may be failing mine right now, but you still got them at home. You still have a chance to remind them they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He knitted them together and called them. He called her and her and him. Before they were knitted together, he called them. Do you know there are children who live every day with anxiousness and depression and anxiety? I'm tired of that. I'm tired of hearing about a, a four-year-old and a five-year-old and a seven-year-old who are, who are depressed and anxious. It shouldn't be. God didn't create them like that. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to change that dynamic in our world and in our culture the, the children the Bible says are a heritage from the Lord do you know what heritage means an inheritance so when you look into the eyes of your neighbor's kid or your children or your grandchildren you say Lord this is what you've given me as part of my inheritance into the kingdom of heaven yes they're a heritage from God we need to pray that we would value that heritage not only in our families, but as a nation and as a world, that God would give us back and value the children like He does. The children are powerful when they praise. The enemies, your enemies, their enemies are silenced and driven back when children praise. You didn't know you had little powerhouses living in your house, did you? So could we do this? Those of you who aren't, didn't come up, would you just stand and just extend a hand forward like this? We're going to pray and then we're going to worship together before we leave this place today. What are we praying? We're praying blessings on our children. Do you think God takes that seriously when a, a mom, a dad, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a grandfather, a grandmother, praise blessings on their children you most certainly can guarantee he takes that seriously would you just 
put your hand on your child's head. I want every child in this room to feel a touch today from someone who they know cares about them and loves them. The rest of us are extending a hand in their direction and we're standing here before you today, Heavenly Father. We're standing in your presence today. And we pray blessings on our children. You care so deeply and so fervently for the children that you you blessed them and given them gifts and called them even before they were knitted together in their mother's womb. You called them. You have a purpose for them. And so today, we just pray blessings on the children. God, I just pray blessings. Can I get some pastors and some board members to just come and, and just pray over these children? Heavenly Father, we just pray blessings. God, even the big ones. We pray blessings on these children. God, you have them in the palm of your hand. You knew them before they were even knitted together. God, we pray for these children. We pray for future children, families who haven't even started yet, but, but at some point will enjoy the benefits of children. So God, what do we pray? We pray for your blessing of protection. We pray for your blessing of strength. We pray for your blessing of courage and boldness. We stand here today as the adults in these children's lives and, and we pray that at an early age, they would personally understand who Jesus is. Because of their childlike faith, because of the praise that you've put in their mouths and in their hearts, the darkness is now pushed back and has no room. It can't touch them. They're yours, Heavenly Father. And so today we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory because you have taught us what children mean to you. God, my heart breaks for the the one who desperately wants children and hasn't been able to make that happen as of yet. You have a plan and a purpose for them. You have not given up on them. You, you have not abandoned them. You place that desire in them and you, your word says you will finish what you started. So God, we pray for them specifically today. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know any details about it, but we know that you are still on the throne. So now, God, as we worship you together as a family, I pray that our praises, our mouths would open, our hands would go up, and that our children would see what true worship looks like. Worship out of your word in spirit and in truth not fake worship, not following motions worship, but an expression of who you are to our families. We just pray, God, for your blessing from generation to generation. Those that we know now and those that we don't even know, some of us will never see if you tarry the generations after us, but we claim them 
for Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.